I'm Audrey Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and cheers to all of you 5th and Mission listeners. It's Beer Week, a chance to revel in the best craft beers our region has to offer. Joining me today to talk about this week is Esther Mobley, who evidently did not get my message about bringing beer to this podcast recording. What is up with that, Esther? You know, uh, I didn't think we had any beer up to snuff in the wine cellar today. Oh, okay. I'll let you go with it that It wasn't one. good enough for you. It wasn't good enough. <laughs> so tell me, it's beer week. What is beer week? Beer Week has been going on in some form in San Francisco since 2003. It was originally known as Beerapalooza. Not a good title. Beer Uh, Week is much easier to understand. Right. And spell. Um, So originally, it was just kind of uh, bringing together a bunch of beer festivals that were already happening in the Bay Area under a kind of single umbrella. Tornado had a barley wine festival. The Bistro in Hayward has always had this famous double IPA festival. And uh, it evolved over time. Beer weeks throughout the country became kind of a thing. And the folks here were really inspired by uh, Philly Beer Week, for instance. And so it's been known as San Francisco Beer Week since 2009. Um, There's more than 100 beer weeks nationwide now. That's more than two a year or two a week every year. <laughs> yeah, There's yeah, more, not yeah. that many weeks in the year. <laughs> so how, how did it come to be in February here in the Bay Area? February, there's a simple reason for that, which is that February is the slowest month for beer sales here historically. And that has now changed. That is a very week. cynical reason <laughs> to have beer week, but I'll take it. So um, let's say I don't know a lot about local beer scene. How can I partake in beer week? Well, what beer week is, is it's simply a a loose confederation of hundreds of events happening over a 10-day period. It's not actually literally a week, um, but this year's lasts from February 7th to the 16th. And uh, bars, restaurants, breweries, parks, any entity throughout the Bay Area can host an event and uh, it kind of gets promoted under this overall beer week thing. So there's a, a wide range of events that Uh, anyone from a beer geek to just a food lover to just someone who wants to get outside can partake in. So one of the things you told me that they have is beer yoga, which sounds horrible to me. (laughs) Like the last thing I want to do while doing yoga is drink beer. What other kind of eclectic events are part of beer week? You would be surprised how many like um, active No, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just saying (laughs) I would not like to do it. I feel the same way. I think in a lot of cases you're drinking the beer after you've already done your physical activity. Well, that I can get into. (laughs) Mm, It's still a lot. Like, um, yeah, 21st Amendment is having an event called Strong Yoga, Strong Beer. I'm thinking if I were doing yoga, I would want not so strong of a beer. Um, But, for instance, Fort Point is doing a, a guided bike tour uh, starting at the end of Golden Gate Park, where they'll take you to some of the uh, landmarks throughout San Francisco that are featured on their beer labels. Um, There's a chocolate making class at Thirsty Bear. You can go to on a two hour uh, bay cruise hosted by San Francisco Brewing Company. There's uh, game show nights and pinball tournaments and just about every form of um, weird event you can think of. Armistice Brewing in Richmond is having a Viking-themed Valentine's Day beer dinner. That's a lot of adjectives. 
before that dinner. (laughs) Viking-themed beer Valentine's dinner. Correct. Okay. Do I even want to ask you more about that? What happens at a Viking dinner? You know, I haven't been, but it probably warrants some investigation. I think you might have to go to that (laughs) one. So, So tell me, like, this is a way of celebrating craft beer and for people to get outside and experience beer in a fun way. What is the state, in your opinion, our esteemed uh, wine and beer and spirits critic of the craft scene in California? We're in a really interesting moment for craft beer nationwide and especially in the Bay Area. Um, as of 2019, there's more than a thousand breweries in California. There's uh, over 170 in the Bay Area. That's really a lot of breweries. And that has um, exploded over the last decade. So um, one thing that's happened in the last few years that we've really seen is the smaller breweries are a lot healthier than the mid-sized breweries, um, especially in the Bay Area. So give me an example of what's small and what's medium. So we have these mid-sized regional breweries and they might sound big to you, but next to the AB InBev's and Miller Coors of the world, they're midsize. So Anchor counts as that. Uh, 21st Amendment, Lagunitas, Bear Republic, these kind of regional uh, name breweries that are certainly in national and maybe even international distribution, but aren't at the level of a Budweiser. And if you think about the kind of marquee names of those in Northern California, almost all of them have undergone a pretty significant shift over the last few years. Anchor, of course, our flagship um, sold to Sapporo a couple of years ago. It had already been sold from its longtime founder to Sky Vodka Executives in 2010. Um, Lagunitas is now owned by Heineken. 21st Amendment is uh, it sold a stake to um, Brooklyn Brewery. Magnolia, a little smaller than those, filed for bankruptcy. It was bought by New Belgium out of Colorado, which has now been bought by another Japanese company. We've really seen this shift over the last few years as those companies want to grow more. They find they can't uh, finance that on their own. There's also a really, this gets a little insidery, but there's been a real change in the distribution model of craft beer. There's been a lot of consolidation and it now really doesn't favor the smaller breweries. So for breweries that need to depend on being out in the world that can't just count on doing all their business out of their tiny corner tap room in the mission where they have this huge local loyal following, it's just becoming really hard to play on that stage. Is that the same with um, local wine, too, that this mid-range is having an issue, whereas the bigger ones are doing okay and the boutique ones are doing okay? Yeah, you could probably say that. Um Last year, wine sales, wine consumption volume in the U.S. was down, but what was up was direct shipping, which essentially means like tasting room sales, wine club sales, anything that a winery is selling you itself rather than going through a bar or a restaurant or a wine shop. So, um, I mean, when certainly a lot of people around here like to drink local and like to support their their local uh, brewery, winery, anything. Um, but it's it's just also for those who are trying to play on a bigger stage, a really different landscape than it used to be. So what is the state of the smaller brewery scene? Are they doing well? Are there more of them than there used to be? 
they're thriving. And yes, there are more, there's more every year um, in the Bay Area. So we've added about, I think about 10 in the last uh, year in the Bay Area. That's not an insignificant number. And the way these breweries are really defining themselves is by staying hyper-local. They often don't distribute at all. They are really only available in their tap rooms. Maybe they hand out their beer to a few choice accounts. One thing that really characterizes them that is new is um, what we here at the Chronicle have coined the flavor of the week model. A lot of these um, places like Cellar Maker, Fieldwork, Rare Barrel are releasing new beers almost every single week. And that's a lot of what drives the buzz. People want to come and try the new IPA they released. It's not like you have Anchor Steam and that's your beer and you drink it every day, year round. People want something new. There's also, especially as IPAs have become increasingly popular, there seems to be no lack of appetite for IPAs. That's a style of beer that, because of its high hop content, is really um, vulnerable to going bad quickly. It needs to be drunk fresh. And so a lot of these breweries that are focusing on producing really hoppy, really high-quality IPAs really don't want their beer to go very far because they want it to be consumed super fresh, super quickly. They put you know, a drink-by date sometimes on the bottle. And so they think that, that this kind of business model just improves their quality, too. Which was actually why you did not bring me ah, and our producer exactly. King any beer because it was not fresh, right? I had a couple old, older, <laughs> I, you know, maybe six-month-old IPAs in the wine cellar that I didn't want to subject you to. So if you're looking for a new brewery, you want to have an experience, we have a couple of things on sfchronicle.com that are um, just awesome, including our brewery map. And then you're inducting a new class of um, honorees into your famous <laughs> NorCal Beer Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think that was... Um... So like up there with Cooperstown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. Um, when are you going to announce who makes it into your Hall of Fame? We'll be announcing that on Thursday, February 6th. Okay, great. I'm speaking with wine critic, beer critic, spirits critic, Esther Mobley. We'll be right back and we're going to talk more about changes in local beer trends after this. So Esther, it seems to me that whenever you say craft beer, I immediately think IPAs, which are not my favorite beers to drink. But you have actually been talking a lot about craft lager, which I think might make some people sort of snort a little bit. It's not what you normally think of in a craft beer. What's going on with different types of craft beers? So lager to me is one of the most interesting things happening right now in craft beer. Lager is uh, kind of your standard domestic beer. Budweiser is lager, Coors is lager, and then you have the light lagers. And craft beer for a long time really defined itself in opposition to these beers. Those beers are dilute, they're kind of flavorless, and the whole point of craft beer was to be flavorful and to give you this really rich, delicious beverage that actually prompted you to think about it and that you were going to like want to drink more of and different versions of over time. But the way this, this flavor revolution has kind of played out, I think it's reaching something of an illogical extreme now where the beers are like, to my palate, maybe to yours too, a little too flavorful a lot of the time. The IPA is still what a lot of people are drinking, and we're seeing those being pushed to over 10% alcohol. 
There's a, a certain famous 10.25% alcohol triple IPA that's getting released this week that we might talk about too. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of beer drinkers, myself included, have suddenly found themselves kind of boomeranging off of that, the the kind of extreme, super high alcohol, high flavor, high bitterness, high hops, beers, wanting something that's a little lighter. Um, and that's where lager comes in. So there's a number of breweries in the Bay Area that are now really making delicious craft lagers that are light, that are balanced, that still have a lot of flavor, that are superior uh, creations to Bud Light, um, but that are trying to bring in not only a drinker who's like tired of the IPAs, but also a drinker who maybe hasn't been drinking craft beer yet because they feel like they don't want the chocolate stouts and the raspberry sours, and they just want like a plain old beer. Oh, you said raspberry sour. My <laughs> my I, my face immediately recoiled. Um, you mentioned it. Uh, maybe we should just call it by its name, Pliny the Younger. Why do people freak out about this beer? Pliny the Younger is a phenomenon. It's a triple IPA. It gets released for two weeks every winter by Russian River Brewing Company in Sonoma County. And um, it is a, a crazy and strange story that in a way tells the whole story of craft beer. But um, the beer has been being produced for 16 years and it used to just be their like winter seasonal, like, you know, Sam Adams winter lager. Um, suddenly in 2010, it it coincided with the rise of some of these beer rating websites like Rate Beer where suddenly users were putting in their favorite beers. Pliny the Younger, this kind of obscure, little-known seasonal release out of Santa Rosa, California, was suddenly named as the number two beer of the year. And uh, the brewer, Vinny Chilerzo, has a great story about showing up to the brewery at 7 a.m. one morning just for work, and there's a line down the block, and he had no idea why. And ever since then, they've realized that they have to actually kind of control the release of this beer because it brings people from dozens of countries. Last year, according to Sonoma County, it generated $4.16 million in tourism spending for the county. Wow. It's pretty crazy. People will wait. People will camp out. They'll wait for days. Uh, the bar, the, like the local barbershops in Santa Rosa say they see a huge uptick in business. <laughs> Because people are like, you know, someone holds your place in line, they go and get their haircut. Um, and so uh, 4.6 million or whatever you said, that's a lot of haircuts. <laughs> it's a lot of haircuts. So um, the owners of, of Russian River Brewing, the Chilerzos, they swear they're not into this. Like they don't want people to wait outside in the rain for two days. Because, well, why don't they just make it year round then? Well, they they won't make it year round. They do make Pliny the Elder year round, which is a double IPA. It's the predecessor. It was around first. Pliny the Elder, Roman author, loved hops and uh, we know loved fermented beverages. Um, but so what they did is they they went to considerable trouble to build a second huge brewery in Windsor, which is just north of Santa Rosa. And they've more than doubled the production of Pliny the Younger. So they were making five, they're making 500 barrels of it this year. And just two years ago, they were making only 160 barrels. So now people who want to go to the tap room and get the beer can go to either Santa Rosa or Windsor. The crowds are spread out. There's a lot more beer. Um, And for the first time this year, 
they are bottling Pliny the Younger, which is something that the Chalerzos made a real point of saying many years ago they would never do. The reason they say is because people would flip it, like people would buy a beer and then sell it on the black market for many times what they paid for it. And in fact, that sort of thing did happen in the early years with growlers before they realized this is like an insanely popular beer. So people who go and wait in line can buy two $10 bottles to take with them in addition to the three pours of Pliny the Younger they're allowed to get. And people who live in the Bay Area are lucky because they don't have to go up to Sonoma County and wait in line at the brew pubs. There are many opportunities to taste Pliny the Younger um, at during beer week at other at other times and other events. So Toronado is going to have some on draft in the hate. Pie Bar and the Mission is going to have some on draft. Um, uh, ben and Nick's, Cato's and the Good Hop in Oakland. So um, there are places to find Pliny the Younger if you know where to look. Awesome. Well, I will not be doing that because I hate to stand in line, but uh, everybody else, I'm, I'm glad we know exactly <laughs> where to go now. Uh, last thoughts. Are there any trends in craft beer that we haven't talked about that you think people should experience, particularly during beer week? You know, I would say the trend to look for this beer week is no trend. So the last few years, we've had a lot of kind of crazy new beer styles to experience and beer week. They have all been on on full display during beer week. Brute IPA, which was IPA that incorporates a champagne enzyme, uh, was invented in San Francisco like two years ago. That was really big. We've seen so many sour beers. Pastry stouts are all over the place. And I think beer week is a great opportunity to like take a step back. And we're we're we have so many breweries locally who are really following this trend, not simply toward lager, but toward a lot of other just kind of balanced, uh, cleaner beers, pale ales. And I think this is a great time to try some of those and try to remember like what beer has tasted like for most of time. <laughs> um, okay. Well, now you've made me thirsty and it's <laughs> almost five o'clock. So I'd say it's time to go across the street now and go get some of that right now. Let's do it. Happy beer week, Esther. Happy beer week. Even though she didn't bring me any beer tonight, I'd still like to thank Esther Mobley for being with us, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. Fifth and Mission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.